Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It's episode number 31 of Material Issues. I'm Mark Hirschberger of Pop Detective Records, and joining me, as always, my very good and healthy friend today, Mr. David Bash of the International Pop Overthrow Festival. David, how you feeling tonight on this beautiful December 22nd evening? Well, first happy off, Mark, I want to wish you a happy 60th. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling better than I than I have been. Uh, obviously, been ha having anxiety issues. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what's precipitating them. I think it's just fr free flowing, but that happens or free floating. That happens sometimes, uh, and it's manifested as chest pain. So I, yesterday, I was concerned. I went to my cardiologist. Um, and did we did a bunch of tests, and it turned out to to not be a heart attack, fortunately. Mm -hmm. So yeah. everything good news. As far, uh, yeah, as far as they can tell, everything with my heart is as as it normally is. So yeah, um, that was very good news. And um, otherwise, I'm I'm yeah I'm fe I'm feeling well. Working on IPOs coming up. Right. Uh, we right. we have you know we have uh, Phoenix, Chicago. Liverpool and Vancouver scheduled at the moment. There'll certainly be many others, uh, you know, as the year goes on. Obviously, we have a you know, we have the ongoing concern of Omicron and how it's going to affect things. Hopefully, not that adversely, but no one can tell. You now, know, maybe you can explain to me though. How did they skip from Delta to Omicron? Aren't there a lot of letters in between? <laughs> yeah, I'm. Well, my my. Uh, Thank you, Andy. My knowledge of of Greek is sparing at best, so I'm <laughs> I'm not going to even go there. We won't go there. <laughs> I have no idea why that they choose the letters they do. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who know the answer to that. <laughs> I was just curious. I was like, you know, why why go to right, directly to Omicron after Delta? Did we miss all the variants in between or? <laughs> epsilon epsilon i don't know but yeah fingers crossed that everything stays uh uh at least status quo for right now and uh and we get through the holiday holiday season and and into uh into the new year and temperatures drop here in the east coast and it kills all the virus floating around the air yeah there you go <laughs> hey people who believe stupider stuff than that so <laughs> i know <laughs> but why not but I can't believe we're on to episode 31, which is fantastic. Uh, we've got a number of things scheduled for the next few weeks. It's going to be good. Um, and some really exciting potential irons in the fire. Yes. Well, yes. Hopefully uh, come to fruition. But we'll just let everybody know that potentially some really cool people in the fire uh, come come February. So we'll, we'll keep everybody apprised. And of course, the, they should subscribe to uh, um, the Facebook Live uh, group here. They should subscribe over at YouTube. We'll get notifications, let you know who's coming up and let you know uh, what's happening. So tell all your friends, Material Issues, coolest place to hang out on a Wednesday afternoon on the West Coast, early evening on the East Coast. And later evening in the UK, as as Andy Hartley knows well. Yes, a Andy always joins us late. We do appreciate him hanging out. He's uh, 
he's he's one of our uh, always viewers. We love it. We love and, it. And, you know, I'm always surprised. You know, I'll get messages from people telling me they're listening. Of course, they never comment. Yeah. And you don't see the names of the people who are listening if they don't comment. So sometimes it's hard. It's hard to know. Uh, often it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who, you know, I assume are listening, of course. And then uh, there are others who just seem to come out of the blue. And it's like, it's great. So hopefully our membership is debt. Our membership's over a thousand now. Yep. Yep. Um, and hopefully, nice. you know, a healthy percentage of that are listening. We try to make it fun. We always have interesting guests. So if it's, not fun, so. It's, it's not the guest fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, it's we not got... my fault. So where does that? It must no, be no. must be my fault. <laughs> right. Well, I'm getting older now. You know, I can barely hear or see. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a spring chicken at sixty uh, and sixty three and falling apart. Uh, it is what it is. We'll, we'll all, right. all we'll all make it to the end. You know. That by definition <laughs> we will. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what do we got going on tonight, my friend? This is this is a, a great show, huh? This is well, uh, one fun. It's, it's always nice to have a good friend and uh, one that's as accomplished as this gentleman is. And I know he's one of your best friends in the world. Yep, which uh, is great. I, I love him. I love and, him. He and his family. Uh, yes, uh, obviously, very accomplished musician. One of the main men. One of the founding members. Uh, chief songwriter of the legendary power pop band blue ash also was a member of stiff bader's band for a while uh, and most recently the deadbeat poets on pop detective records uh, he's also an author yes circumstantial evidence a uh, book about his rock and roll life or at least certain aspects of it and so he'll be talking about that and more and we're honored to have him here so without further ado, would you please give a huge material issues welcome to Mr. Frank Sesich. And there he is. Hey, how are you guys doing? Outstanding, you, Mr. Sesich. How are you tonight? Good. Happy birthday, Mark. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, another Thanks another so trip around the <laughs> another trip around the sun, I guess. Uh, and we're still here. We're, and I'm happy to have you here on my birthday, Frank. Uh, I had told David... Uh, a while ago that, you know, my birthday will happen on the material issues, uh, the 22nd. And I said, yeah, I'd really like to have uh, somebody that, that means something to me on my birthday. And uh, I'm glad you could show up tonight and, uh, and oh, join us. So here. this this makes uh, makes for a wonderful uh, 60th birthday. And uh, thank you so much, my friend. And thanks, oh, thanks to Lisa. I love yeah, both you guys. I owe you a lot. Frank, Frank, before we get into the music aspect of your career, there's one thing I have to know, and I think all the viewers out there need to know. How is the groupie scene back in the day with Blue Ash? And who in the band was the best chick magnet? Other than you. Uh, and other than the other married guys, because we know married guys don't avail themselves. No, Jim was always the chick magnet, and David, the uh, uh, drummer, was. Um, Cupid always got the musicians because he was such an accomplished uh, guitar player. So he always got the, uh, you know, the Eric Clapton kind of guys that idolized them, you know, that were fans of that. I always got every psycho nutcase between <laughs> New York and uh, Seattle as, as my fans. <laughs> Makes for good stories, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Uh, it's well, we funny. Won't, we, yeah, we won't uh, press you for any uh, any sordid details. But <laughs> was was the bat was Blue Ash named after the this town in in Ohio? Yeah, uh, it's it's right outside of Cincinnati. When Jim and I uh, we had finished eleventh uh, grade in high school, and we just decided we were going to form Blue Ash, and we took a trip to Nashville, and uh, all the way down. We were trying to think of names for the band. We we're going to hang out in Nashville for a week, get ideas. And we're driving. We're coming up with all these goofy names and everything. And nobody liked it. And I said, that's it. I said, you know, the next sign we see, we're just going to call the, the band that. And Jim goes, oh, Blue Ash. And I go, that's the name of the band. Wow. <laughs> so that's like the Bay City Roller. Suburb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a suburb of Cincinnati. And that's how we got it on our trip to Nashville. Uh, I mean, we could very easily have been called Gennada Hooten. <laughs> I'm glad. Would you have stuck with it if that happened? <laughs> what that? Yeah. No, you were determined. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that that that's awesome. Um, uh, Frank, what what we like to talk about, we've kind of learned over 31 episodes or 30 episodes now is. Let's find out what you're doing right now, and then we'll kind of go back into some okay. history and things. So, I mean, right now, I know oh, you've great. told me you are doing some Blue Ash recording. Um, what's happening wow. with yes, new Blue Ash tunes? Two and a half years now, uh, Jim Kenzer and I, plus the Deadbeat Poets, backing it. And we have eight songs done already. Uh, I think I've sent you some of them, Mark. I think it's some of the best work we've ever done. And Jim and I have written a few, and... I, uh, we're going to go back in the studio and finish it off after the first of the year. I have about three or four new ones. But then we got a great big surprise last week. I got an email from Peppermint Productions where we used to do all of our um, uh, recording and demos. And they found seven more songs. And uh, three or four of them are the best songs Blue Ash have ever written. And when I listened to them, I knew the one was always one of my favorites. And we had lost the recording. It's called um, uh, It's All in Your Mind. And another one called The Late Night Flight. That are so poppy and catchy. It's unbelievable. I almost cried when they pulled these tapes up. So we're going to redo a couple of those, too. And one uh, uh, Jim wrote called uh, For No One Else. It's a ballad. I mean, you could put this song on on rubber sole and nobody would know the difference you know I, that's how good it is it's 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 i i mean i love finding stuff you know how when we found all the stuff that we put on the not lame uh recording it was it was fantastic but this just really made my christmas so i can't wait so be, he's in the studio besides all that stuff that was found at peppermint that went on the big not lame uh uh release so this this as you explained to me a little bit ago was just uh, a phone call from Peppermint saying, hey, I, I got another tape. Here's more stuff. And you were just like, whoa. Yeah, right. and I've been looking for these songs for you know almost 50 years now. So wow. it's amazing. And they're way better than I thought they were. Yeah. So oh, I, that's I just great. Think, well, I It'll be a nice legacy for the band, especially since we haven't had an album out in 44 years or something it'll, it'll be a nice thing in our old age i just turned 70s and you turned uh, you know 60 so it'll be a nice thing and jim and i are really up on it we're having so much fun in the studio and uh, uh a lot of the songs are about 
uh, coming of age when we grew up in Western Pennsylvania here. One's called a uh, cousin Vicky's shirt that I think I uh, yeah yeah, and it's about the shirt that Jim had. When we were in ninth grade. His cousin sent him a this mod shirt, and it had white French cuffs and it was pink with the tab collar. And all the jocks started picking on him, wanted to fight. And he said, "You remember that shirt?" And I said, "Yeah, we ought to write a song about it." So we wrote this song, and it just was a great Pete Thompson kind of thing. So it's hilarious, and I can't wait to put this stuff out. So a lot of the stuff will be reaching back into the. Uh, our youth and everything growing up there. And Jim used to have a little psychedelic uh, um, place in his basement called the, the uh, it was called the Flower Palace or the Blacklight Room. So we wrote a song called The Blacklight Room about it. And that's going to be the album closer. And it's really a strawberry fields kind of thing, which is kind of cool too. But wow. we're having so much fun with it. Of course, the Debbie Poets are just wonderful to record with too. Well, what, uh, you that's know, what a lot of people. What a lot of people, I mean, people may be familiar with Blue Ash, but if they really don't know the big background, you guys recorded a ton of stuff. You have a lot of music. You've written a lot. You've done a lot of demos. That's where all that stuff from Peppermint came. And, uh, I mean, uh, the just the, the, the sheer amount yeah. of really good songs yeah, is amazing. Yeah, when we found all the ones that we did for the Not Lame uh, album that you set up, Mark, uh, that around again in 2004, um, there were 219 recordings and uh, extra seven. So there were like actually 226 Blue Ash recordings. And I have a fellow down in, in uh, um, uh, Australia, David Lang, that started his label up again. He's interested in putting out a, a lot of the uh, um, old stuff again, too. So I think there might be some concept with that and George things that'll one of the coolest archetype series will live tomorrow. Ash's first recording we did in nineteen seventy with Bob Mack who discovered Tommy James in, in Pittsburgh. And Bob took us into the studio there. He was a famous DJ and we did a tribute to Janice Joplin and um um Jimi Hendrix, who had just died. This is in the late fall of uh, um, uh, 1970. And uh, no, yeah, 1970. And it's an amazing little little record. It kind of sounds like the Moody Blues. And I was when you hear it now, you'd wonder why that was never a hit then. Mm -hmm. But so that's going to come out of the archives. Mark, I think I gave you the original acetate of that. I got that. Yes, I do. A, there's a lot of really crazy stuff coming out on Blue Ash. So we're, we're just tickled with it. Like I said, it's going to be a nice legacy for the band. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, well, I don't have I don't have a, uh, an acetate of anything you've done. But I do have something pretty cool. I mean, besides this, of course, being your first album which has become somewhat collectible. I've got a white label. Oh, yeah, how cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. With, with of course, the... Uh, they used to use better vinyl on, on the promos back then than what they sold. They'd use rehashed vinyl, but on the on the promos, they always used the better grade vinyl so it would sound good on the radio. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, <laughs> and that's totally true. That I mean, yeah. I grew up in New York, and and you know, white white label promos were not that hard to find there. And uh, it's very true. You never found one that was warped, and they always sounded better. Yeah. You never had a skip. You never had yeah. anything. Always. 
And they were cheaper. If you could find one, you, you could get a new promo for two ninety nine when albums were going at stores for six dollars. So, <laughs> oh yeah, every yeah, advantage. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's great news, though, Frank. Uh, Blue Ash new recordings. Uh, everybody's gonna look forward to that. I'm sure it, it, it's 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 going to be amazing. So uh, we're glad that you're still healthy and writing and recording and and uh, Kenzer's. Kenzer's actively singing his uh, vocal cords off. Oh, That's great. He's as good as he was when he was 19 years old. He, he'll be uh, uh, he'll be 70 years old a week from today. So happy ah, very nice. Oh, wow. That's nice. And you're yeah. using uh, you're using the, the rest. Just it out. And the rest of the guys from the Deadbeat Poets are backing you up. Oh yeah, and they, they just sound better than ever. So it's just we're just having a blast with it. Excellent. Well, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, so, so how how did you how did you guys and and Mark will attest to this because we've been saying it every week. Back in the day, you know, so many we we we've heard stories on material issues from so many bands who back in the day when they got signed, they would just march into a, a re, you know a, a, the building of a record label, storm into the office of the A and R guy. And say you're going to sign us. Uh, sometimes they come in in costume, but back then you could do stuff like that. How did you guys get your deal with Mercury? Oh, it, it, this is the craziest thing in the world. There was a guy, a local musician here, named uh, Gary Del Vecchio, uh, and he he was trying to uh, hustle his tapes up in New York at Mercury, and he was in here, meaning Youngstown, Ohio, some Youngstown. What? Here, meaning young. I don't know how that's where he was from, but he was in New York City at Mercury Records in Paul's office trying to sell his his band. And there was, you know, literally hundreds of tapes just stacked all over his office. And on the top one, there was one from Blue Ash. And um, Gary says, you have to listen to these guys. They're from my hometown. They're really, really good. So Paul put on the tape and it was a half the songs were in our first album, Plain to See, I Remember a Time, Abracadabra. And he was just knocked out by it. So he called Bud Scoffa, who also worked at Mercury. He said, Bud, come here. you got to listen to this. And they went crazy. But here's the best part about it. They went out to eat that night at a, at a restaurant called La Strada. I think it was on 48th Street or 46th Street. Um, and they used to always eat there. And they're eating at a table. And there's three girls next to them. And they're talking. And they're talking about Blue Ash. And Paul says, excuse me. He goes, are you talking about a band called Blue Ash? They overheard their conversation. And they said, yeah, uh, they're a great band. We're from Jamestown, New York. They play up here all up in our town all the time. And Paul goes, we're from Mercury Records. We just got a tape on them today. And we're just knocked out by the tape. And the girl said, you guys, you guys see them play live. They're just terrific. So the next thing we knew, Paul was on a plane called Jeff Jones, our manager, wanted to come down and see us. So um, we played at a place we used to play called The Apartment, was our home base, and Jeff had his office in the back. So we do the set, and Paul's out there watching us, and we go back to the dressing room, you know, five, ten minutes, he doesn't come back, 15 minutes, and Jeff says, oh, maybe he didn't like you guys. They said, well, I'm going to go out there and, uh, you know, ask him, see what he thought. So he's sitting at the bar, and I said, well, what did you think, Paul? And he goes, well, he goes... I'll tell you what, he goes, I think you're one of the best bands in America. He goes, and I'm going to sign uh -huh. you to Mercury Records. 
case that I'm just sitting here planning it out because I had no idea you guys were that good live either. You know, I go, so I went back in the, in the dressing room. And I said, all right, boys, pack your bags. We've just been called up by the major leagues. <laughs> so that wow. was pretty fun, you know. But see, there you have it, David. That, that, that's another story where it's like, ah, here's a tape. Uh, oh, let's fly down and see these guys and sign them. We always laugh, Frank, because today you don't, you couldn't even get anywhere near the front door of a of a major label in a in a building in New York with a tape. They'd laugh. They'd laugh you right off the street. But back in the day, you could show oh, yeah. up. Funny. Yeah. The funny thing is, Mark, that we had four labels. We uh, we did our demos at Peppermint the summer of 72, and we sent them out. We had four labels that wanted to sign us. Got a hold of us, Polydor, MGM, and Metro Media, I think, that had Bobby Sherman and uh, yep. um, some other people. You know? Remember that label? And they all oh, yeah. signed us, but we liked Mercury because Rod's on there and the Blues Magoos were on Mercury. So, you know, we, we, we wanted to be on Mercury, so it was cool. Oh, that's cool. That's you a, made the cool. right choice. Because <laughs> Metro Media went pfft, not long after that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so that, yeah, Mike Curb, I think, wanted to sign us to him or something. And we didn't want to go with that though. So you didn't want to be on the same label as the Oz. So when we had our second album, <laughs> went to uh making demos for our second album after we were dropped by Mercury. We did an audition at Columbia. Their studio way and we almost got there and uh then we almost got signed to rca but the funny one with emperor records and nat weiss and he really really liked us and he flew down to youngstown spent the weekend and that's another we did a, a, a with the key player and everything in peppermint studio and we found those tapes too those were additional ones that peppermint's just found on too and um now do it he had some uh, things going on, and he didn't want to hold us back. He said, I probably couldn't do anything for another year or so. And he did really well with the romantics in that. He, he was a cool guy. He was the Beatles' American in the late 60s. And um, mm -hmm. so I wish we would have signed with him, but we ended up going with uh, Playboy. And we, we Richie got wanted to sign up at the same time. We should have gone with him as a action deal. But we had a lot of offers, though. I, you know, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's cool. You talk about the tape uh, that got you signed uh, uh, to Mercury. Um, how, how many of the songs that were on that original tape ended up in the first album? Uh, Abracadabra, have you seen her? Plain to see. Uh, I remember a time. Um, I think just those three. There were six of tape. Okay. Over horses that you up on... Uh, uh, the not lame thing and uh day and night was one of them as well yeah so right. those are the ones I remember now and uh the first single from the album abracadabra yeah but, huh. should have been a huge and hit dusty old fairgrounds and dusty old fairground which is oh a, yeah is an yeah. Inter interesting story there as well you know uh a, a dylan a dylan track unreleased at the time yeah, but that paul nelson gave us that he was a yeah, Paul was a friend of Bob Dylan's from the University of Minnesota. He's actually in No Direction Home, Martin Scorsese video quite a bit. And he interviews him. And Dylan talks about uh, Paul, too. Uh, Dylan stole all his albums when he was students at uh, uh, 
um, University of Minnesota because he had all these great folk albums, Woody Guthrie and and uh, Blind Lamer and Jefferson and all this stuff. <laughs> and they knew it was him. They went after him to beat him and everything. And there's quite a funny thing in the direction of that. That's the old fairgrounds. And um, we recorded that. We fell in love with it. And Bill Bartlin wrote those ooh parts in that ooh things, you know. And um, they they uh, try, had to get the rights for it when the album came out. So they called over at Warner Brothers Publishing, which was Dylan's publishing. And they had never heard about the song. And so they uh, took the tape and played it for Dylan. And he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, I did write that. He goes, that's my song. And he told, he, they told him Paul was involved in it and everything. And he said, well, tell him to put that on the first single, if not the A side, the, uh, the B side, because it'll get a lot of attention. That was Bob Dylan's idea. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> glad you mentioned, I, he liked we did, you know? I'm glad you mentioned I Remember a Time, because that song always stuck out for me on the album as being very, very birdsy unlike a lot of the other stuff. Were, were you a big bird Oh, yeah, fan? yeah, yeah. That, that, that was a, uh, uh, I, I purposely tried to write it like that, and uh, it, it came off really good. Um, that was one of Greg Shaw's favorite songs, and he, he wrote for um, Phonograph Record Magazine at the time, and uh, they got big articles on us. Metal Mike Saunders wrote a big one, and Greg, you know, was just loved it. He used to have a radio show out there too. So it's it's funny, David. I've told you before. You always remind me a lot of Greg Shaw. Your your personality and your encyclopedic knowledge of wow. music. And uh, yeah, he, he was a cool guy. We hung out a lot together. Uh, yes, he and, was. And Stib and him out in L.A. And funny stories about him. He was a crazy guy too. But I could tell. I got yeah. to tell you one real funny story about. Greg Shaw. Oh, please. Okay. Yeah. When I first went out with Stip in 1979, I'd never told this story before. And uh, we were going to work for this crazy Dutch millionaire that's going to go on this big tour and take all these bands out. So he had all these people lined up. Uh, Joan Jett, um, Levi and the Rockettes, Pure Hell from Philadelphia. We're all going to go on this, this big tour. So Greg was coming out there, and he had been a big fan of Blue Eyes. It was the first time I met him. So one day we're at the Sunset Marquee and uh, he ca he ca calls up. And he goes, I'm going to come over and hang out. He goes, what can I bring? And I said, well, bring you a, a case of Carlsberg elephants because we used to drink those all the time. Anyway, so he, he's coming over. The Sunset Marquee had this uh, garage underground and it had this echo that was unbelievable. If you slammed the trunk, it would sound like 10,000 howitzers going up. And the cops <laughs> would always come. We'd be down there and slamming the trunk. So uh, right. he comes over there and we're hanging out. By the way, Ed, Ed, and Joan Jett was there and she played me her, um, uh, 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 what's the, the big, the rock and roll song, you know? The first I love one rock and roll. Uh, yeah. The big, yeah, the Alan Merrill rep. And it was with the Sex Pistols or something we're backing. It was the first original. Did you freeze, Frank? Yeah, he's frozen. I think you're frozen, Frank. Hopefully he can pop out I mean, of it. I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. What do you... Let's see if, let's see if it works his way back in. 
But as we said, Frank's got a lot of. Uh, That's what she said. Yeah. See, I figured I'd we, like fall back on that. Okay. You're still a little you frozen, Frank. Oh, I'm sorry. But we can hear you. Wait. Okay. Anyway, Greg uh, goes to, to drive home, so we follow him out to the garage, and we had told him about slamming the 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 uh, 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 the, the, the trunk down. You know, so he's ready to in the car. We weren't going to let him drive because he was pretty hammered. And he thinks for a second. He goes to the trunk and he starts slamming it. He's laughing his ass off. And this is thing sounds like cans. <laughs> All of a sudden, the, the cops appear and they go, "What in the hell are you doing?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah." Oh. I go, "He's our friend. He's had a little bit too much to drink." And the cops, Get the hell out of here. Do not let him drive. So we we took him back in the hotel. <laughs> And I think it was me and, and Stib, Joan Jett. There was a couple other people there, maybe uh, kind of guys from Pure Hell or something, but funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, which, which, which seems to follow you a lot in your career, Frank. You get, you get a, into a lot of situations. Oh, yeah. I, I... <laughs> you and I have talked about so many things over the years, and it's just, it's just amazing uh, uh, the, the stuff that has happened to you and Blue Ash and, and uh, Stiv and, and everything everything along in your career, it's like um, the, the stories you have are are, are unbelievable, and uh, that that's part you know, of my I've favorite been comedy. <laughs> I've been blessed to be around some of the funniest guys in the world to be on, on the road with Jim Cantor or Jimmy Zero or Stiv Vader's. Uh, and of course, just so I just have so much fun on the road. And so everybody knows, so many of these stories can be found in your book. Which a poster behind you, circumstantial evidence. Absolutely, yeah, there it is back there. If you can see it. Yeah, and of course anybody uh, can get yeah, that from uh, Amazon and and whatnot. But um, uh, if you want if you want to read a book that is just uh, <laughs> pure pure rock and roll, uh, easy reading, fun time from a, from a, a guy that can tell stories, circumstantial evidence by Frank Sessage. Make sure you pick that up. It's still still time to get it for oh, Christmas. Thank so. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Hey, Frank. Uh, yeah. Frank, um, I'm looking at the poster. Fun uh, has it in Barnes and Noble, so it's out everywhere. You can order it anywhere. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm Thank looking at the poster behind you. Um, on the poster behind you, the one with uh, where you're you're on the bill with Glass Harp, Phil Kagey's band. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also there's also a band listed underneath called the Steve Bader Band. Would that happen to be that Steve was, Bader? That was Steve. That's his real we, name. We, yeah, his name is real name is Steve Bader, and we used to always have him open up for us. He was we were always friends since we were teenagers. So he had different pickup bands and stuff. We'd always have him open shows. That was a cool show. Um, that was at Steelworkers Hall, and uh, had. Held like a thousand, we packed the place. Um, Glass Heart got signed that night to DECA. The guys were there, wow. and we did all of Tommy. Uh, segwayed all the songs. We it took us a month every day of practicing to do it. It was Jeff Jones's, our, our manager's idea, and we just nailed it. It was so good, people still talk about it to this day. And we, we did all the songs perfectly because we were well suited for it the way our instruments were set up and everything. But um, it was one of the best things we ever did. We never tried it again. We even got heavy gauge strings so we wouldn't go out of tune or anything while we were doing it. But we just completely nailed it. And we got so many encores 
and people wanted us to keep coming back. And Phil Cagey, the great gentleman, he has, his bands were always great. He goes, after we were done, he goes, I don't know how we can follow that. He goes, but we're going to do our best and come up here. And, he, and his bands were always so terrific anyway. Oh, yeah. And they were great that night, too. And they got signed. Stiff was great that night. So it was pretty cool. And that now, was Frank, you, uh, August 25th, 1970. Yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, with Blue Ash, uh, you tour, you guys toured a lot. You were playing all the time. I mean, for years, you guys played. Five to 300 days a year. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Now, here's what amazes me, though. There's very little. Pittsburgh and Cleveland. There's very little live material from uh, the 70s, from, from Blue Ash, which, uh, which absolutely amazes me that you guys can play as much as you played and there's not more live material that would have been that would have been something to have yeah there's things i'm still still looking for we were actually on tv up at, at uh emporium pa which is the uh the headquarters of adelphia which was the first cable tv news work that they, they ever did and we uh because of the mountains and everything in pa and there's a great tape of us some somewhere around playing there i i I hope that shows up someday. But we did so many live live performances. It came to the point in like 72 and 73 before we were signed, we were turning down, we were taking one job for every five we were offered for the same day. I mean, that's wow. like unheard of, but we got really, really popular in Pittsburgh and, everything, and we just played and played and played. I mean, we never stopped. You know, if we just were always constantly on the run. But we got really good that way and uh tight you know we could read each other's minds oh, yeah. after a thing like that you were, you were doing all the right things and i hate to ask this question but I, but i feel like i have to i mean this album has become a power pop classic there's no doubt about it in the annals of, of this yeah. genre it's definitely way up there why do you think it didn't sell uh back back in the day it really should have from what I, I heard, you know, the, the pro, a lot of the promo guys at Mercury just didn't know what to do with us. The A&R guys, Paul Scapa, uh, Paul, Paul Nelson, Bud Scapa, they, they all went to the, the mats for us. You know, they loved us. And but I think we were so different at the time that I, I don't think they knew how to promote us. And it caused a lot of, uh, you know bad feelings in the companies between different departments and that, you know, because I know Paul went to great lengths to try to keep us, you know, and the, the great book about him, but uh, by Kevin Avery, uh, Paul's life, and it details a lot of the, the ways he fought for Blash and everything. So uh, I never regretted being on Mercury, though. I, I mean, we ended up selling about, I think, 9,000 albums. We had 25,000 albums. We recorded some stuff for a second album, but it never got released. So uh, they gave us an extra single with any time at all, and she's so nice on it. But that no. was it. Then, it, then they finally had dropped us. Yeah, at that time it was cut and dry with the accounting. Sell a certain amount of albums yet. Yeah. And correct me if and I'm wrong. Uh, and like fifty out of that, and then they went out of business. Yeah. Um, and Epic wanted to pick us up because they were distributed through CBS, but our producer didn't, you know, want to make, try to go somewhere else with it and everything. And then the band just kind of fell apart. And I started playing with Stiff. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Frank, right but uh, that, so. 
anytime at all. Wasn't that on Raider Record on American Bandstand? Yes, yeah, that's that's great. We were on tour and we were playing at a place called The Joint in the Woods in New Jersey. And we were there for a week opening up for different people, Marshall Tucker Band, uh, Lloyd Price, every uh, another night, Commander Cody, and different ones. So J- Jim and I were rooming together and, and uh, um, we're watching American Bandstand. And Dick Clark says, okay, he goes, we, we got two, uh, we got Raider Record coming up next. He goes, after this commercial break, he goes, and we have two great ones. And I slammed the TV and I said, I hate that Raider Record shit. <laughs> and all of a sudden, our mother and everybody else is called, you guys were on American Bandstand today. And you got a 95 or something like that. Whoa. <laughs> Again, Martha and the Vandellas or something. I can't remember who it was. And they really liked your record. It sounded great. And people were coming to the job that night. And me, like, you know, the smart ass, I kicked the TV off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the sad part about it I is... Tried to get a copy of that one time, Mark. We couldn't find it. They, they well, you, you, you can't time. get it. Uh, I contacted uh, yeah. Dick Clark Productions, and there's a period of about six years where every single tape of the American Bandstand show uh, has been trashed, erased, gone. Uh, it's, yeah. th- it doesn't even exist. God, so, I hate um, that. Oh, yep. my God. You <laughs> can go online. Dick Clark even tried to help us. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy now, like you can go Clark online and you can see... You can see everybody who yeah. was on Raider Record. There's a website that lists it all, and there's Blue Ash anytime at all. But uh, you cannot, yeah. <laughs> you cannot get the episode unless somebody mistakenly just kind of recorded it on an old Betamax or something. And I've yet to find a copy of that, and which you know, I'm you, always. You talk to the staff. You talk to the staff of these shows, and you ask why did that happen. They say, well. We just ran out of room to store this stuff. I'm thinking, are you freaking kidding me? You know how much room there is wherever you are? You could have the whole freaking yeah. thing on every every episode of every show could have been stored. And uh, they just didn't oh, care. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. It's, it's too bad we don't have, the, they didn't have the technology we have now with all the digital and everything. They could have just nailed yeah. that stuff, archived, you know? Absolutely. But it's just crazy. Yeah. You want to hear a great six degrees of separation, Frank? Here, here's one that you may sure. not know. Um, you guys were on Playboy. Uh, so were so were the Hudson brothers under the name Hudson. The Hudson brothers also recorded any time at all for one of their subsequent albums. Wow. Yeah. So there, there's a little bit of odd trivia yeah, for you. Cool. You can you can knock people out yeah. with. <laughs> did, did, yeah, that's great. Did you <laughs> did you get to meet you Hefner when you were on Playboy? No, talk to him on the phone though. Uh <laughs> welcome us to the label. Just like you know, a 15 second call for you know like, that was pretty cool though. And we yeah. were signed by uh Tom Takios who used to run Capitol Records. So and uh, uh, Steve Friedman, who was the producer of uh, Front Page News, he would stay outside of the, the, the MLA and stood outside of the Playboy building. And every day he tried to give uh, Takayoshi our tape, and he wouldn't take it when he'd see him. And so he's, he's finally there about a week, and, and as he's trying to give it to him again, he goes, get in the car. He goes, let's go listen to it. He goes, if you're this insistent about it. And he liked the band, so he's, he signed us. 
Hey Frank, can you briefly can you briefly talk about the experience with Playboy? How the record that you guys intended was not really the record that the public got. Yeah, we 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 were really really disappointed in it. We we didn't want all the strings and horns in it. We didn't even want two thirds of the songs that were on there. We had a lot better songs and everything. As you could tell from the, you know, the not lame thing, we had all kinds of uh, uh, good stuff. But in and Sammy and half of it in LA, and we were just so so disappointed in it. And even before the record came out, the funny thing was, and we lost him again. I think now you froze again, Frank. Oh. oh, sorry about that. But That's yeah, right. it, it, it got a lot of airplay, and we really didn't want to tour with that record. And in, in a way, I'm kind of glad Playboy went out of business when it did with that. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I, what I really wanted to do was more stuff the way we did it before. And uh, with, uh, with Stiv and everything, I had that chance. And Greg Shaw gave me that chance, which I could never repay him for, for all he did for me. He was a great do you, guy. Do you have, have tapes? Do you have tapes of the album? Do you have tapes of the album as do you have tapes of the album as you wanted it to come out? No, no, not at all. Actually wow. I have tapes that were much worse than when the album came out. Uh, I just saw a bootleg on, on, on the internet the other day and somebody put the fr uh, front page thing on news on uh um uh, on YouTube, but they used a lot of the, the same songs that were recorded from Not Lame, and it sounds kind of wow. cool. Secretly, <laughs> <laughs> like the boy won't listen and things change. It sounds way better, you know, because those demo tapes that we made at Peppermint were way better than what what we did in you know uh, 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 Criteria or uh, I can't remember the one that was out in L.A. Uh, was a real big studio. Fleetwood Mac were recording there when we recorded in one of the studios. Uh, uh, they were doing well, their Tusk album. Listening to uh, the Not Lame uh, demos and things, I, as you know, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, the track "Look at You Now," uh, and I yeah. and, the, and the, de the demo version, much much less strings and things, uh, is absolute gold. But uh, that's always been one of my one of my favorite songs for yeah, whatever. I, I love yeah. that too. I love John Grager playing the piano on that. And that that's really cool. And that's just a little live demo. We would just go in and do those things live just to, for copyright reasons and to hear how they sounded. And that thing right. held up really good. Look, you know, it's a great song, you know? Yep, I love it. I love and it. And it wow. really, really was popular on the radio all over Pennsylvania, all over the South. I mean, Texas had hit number one in like 12 markets there. Wow. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. That's, we only had singles deal with Playboy. That's what got us the album deal, because that single just took off everywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, "You Are All I Need" is a very special song to me. I have to say it. It, it reminds me so much of, of the '60s soft pop that I love. Bit of a departure for you. I wrote that for my wife Lisa for our wedding, and Clinton uh, Jim and Brian Wingrove was our piano player. Played at our wedding. I wrote that oh. for her. So. Nice. It's 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 one of my favorites. And I, I keep telling her all the time. She's probably one of the only well, women that have ever had a song written about her for her wedding. 
<laughs> That's yes, true, Andy. It's great stuff. Yep. Yeah. Indeed. Well, you moved on uh, from Blue Ash after Blue Ash kind of dissolved with the Playboy thing and and touring. Uh, you went back uh, with your childhood friend Steve Bader and got involved with uh, yeah. with a little album called Disconnected uh, that uh, I think some people might have heard of heard of, especially uh, oh, yeah. Billy Joe Armstrong, Green Day were yeah, covering uh, covering something uh, not too long ago. Yeah, not that yep, way anymore. Yep. Yeah, they just, he did that last December. Uh, no Fun Mondays, that was released all over the world. So I'm going to get some nice royalty checks from that. Already got a few of them. So that's kind of cool. I was I was real touched by that. Yeah, but Steve and I, uh, we, we just, he called me up and the Dead Boys were breaking up. He wanted to do some, um, something different, pop stuff. And he wanted to um, cover It's Cold Outside, the choir's old song. And so we went and, and Cleveland and did that with Jimmy Zero and Johnny Blitz from the Dead Boys. And Steve took, had a girlfriend, that, uh, Cynthia Ross from the B-Girls. And they went out to um, L.A. And she was signed to, to Bomb. And he played the stuff for Greg. And Greg went crazy over it. And uh, he said, I bet you don't know who's on these demos with me. And Greg goes, that's Frank Sessage. He goes, I can tell his voice anywhere. So he knew it was it. So he, he wanted to sign us, and we ended up signing with him, did a couple singles. Uh, it's Cold Outside, Not That Way Anymore, and then did the Disconnected album, which is a yeah, crazy album. I still get more email and, and, and stuff like that every day on that album from all over the world. People love that album. And it's, it was released everywhere, you know, Japan and Scandinavia, France, yeah. uh, Germany, and, and once again, I do want to bring up that, you know, this uh, this show tonight, Material Issues, this is about Frank Sessich, and that's why we wanted to cover Blue Ash. And you do have a thing oh, with yeah, Steve, yeah, and, sure. and you do have a lot of Stiv stories. We could we could go on for five hours just on oh, yeah. Stiv stories, but a lot of that is going to come up is going to is going to be in circumstantial evidence. Um, so again, if people want to buy that wonderful book, and and here's some of the craziest <laughs> things that Stiv did. It still blows my mind. The, the, the getting on top of the roof of a car and, and going. Uh, Car surfing is uh, is yeah, one of the craziest things I've ever heard. But we wanted to, we want to make sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Greg Kostelich from Get Hip told me the other day that uh, my book was the best selling book in in the history of uh, um, uh, Get Hip distribution, which is kind of cool because that's a huge wow. distributor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I always thought that was, and he still sells them constantly down there. So that's pretty cool. And. Uh, now, when you when you were writing when you were writing uh, for the disconnected album and, and the things you wrote, uh, were you writing with Stiv or did you bring uh, in uh, the song ideas? Uh, how was that? How did that process go? We did it different ways, like um, the song "I Want to Forget You," just the way you are. But he had the song title for that. So that's a great title. So I wrote the music and the melody, and then he wrote most of the lyrics for it. But yeah. things like A Million Miles Away, that was my song. And But a lot of times the last year was the first one we wrote together. And uh, we wrote that at, at, at my apartment in here in Sharon, PA. He used to always come at this time of year, holidays, he'd always be home. And we'd always get together, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And he had Cynthia Ross with her, him too. And we, Lisa and I lived on a, in an apartment on the west side of Sharon. But uh, yeah, we, we would do it in different ways. Um, not that way anymore was basically my song, but he would contribute some things, and then other things he would write music. He was he, he was pretty good when he wasn't lazy, 
you know. Well, that, that was going to be my question when you're writing yeah. with someone like Stiv Bader, because, you know, he's got his public persona, which everybody mm-hmm. can look at and go, oh, my yeah. God, it's got to be frustrating as hell to try to sit down and write with someone like that. But yeah. when it was just the two of you together, was that was he a very serious writer? Was he a very? Yeah, he uh, was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was. Yeah, he was actually a good singer, too. I mean, he could nail stuff like Tony Bennett and that and you wouldn't believe it. But he would never, ever let anybody see that. But he could actually sing that stuff, you know. It, it, it was it was funny in that way. But yeah, he he was a talented guy. He could he could play guitar good enough to write songs. So he he would come up with some decent ideas. Um, when I wrote, basically, it was not that way anymore. He was out running around in L.A. when we were out there, and we had gone to see Twenty Twenty, and I really liked that band. And I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song, see if they'll they'll do it. And I showed it to Steve. I said, I'm going to give it to those guys. I like those kids. Maybe they'll do this. He goes, we're not giving them that song. <laughs> he goes, no way. He goes, we're going to record that ourselves. I thought, good move. He goes, that's too good. He goes, we're not giving that one away. So, but yeah, it's, all, it's something have- that I always wanted to ask you about because yeah, I know how good you are as a songwriter, and I know we've we've sat down at your house and my house and picked up guitars and 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 the places you go with it, and you know what the hell you're doing. You're a pro, uh, you really are. But I, I'm always oh, curious okay. when the disconnected, you know, when you were writing with Stiv, whether you just sat there going, Jesus Christ, this this guy's driving me out of my mind. Would you settle down, Stiv? But the public persona. And the private persona were probably very different, very different things. Yeah. Well, what's what's funny is there was a song on Disconnected called Ready Anytime. And I wrote the, the music to that and I had the title and I had all the melody. And I had to go back to Ohio or something like that. And I couldn't be there for the end of the recording. So I told Stiff and it was like the, the, I had some lyrics in there. It was like the perfect cheap trick pop song, you know. I said, Steve, just just do that and, and uh, you know, get some decent lyrics in that. I said, that song's uh, really catchy. So when they sent me a tape, he and Greg, and they had, they started, you know, camping it up and doing all that stuff. I said, I'm going to kill you, Steve, for doing that. <laughs> and Greg got on the phone because I think it's like genius. I said, Greg, if I could come through the phone right now, I'd strangle you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've grown to like what he did with it after that. But that was a long thing. <laughs> it was funny because I just left him with that perfect song. And, it, it, you know, but that was what he did. It, it doesn't matter. I, could, I, I, I pull those things out of my hat all the time. You know, yeah. those kind of things. I just like to write. I can write melodies like it. I, I still do it to this day. I'll just pick up the guitar and write stuff. It's funny. Speaking of which, let, let's move on to the Deadbeat Poets since we have 10 minutes here. Uh, when, sure, when, did they, sure. when did you form them? Uh, the Deadbeat Poets uh, started in, in 2006. And uh, I, I had quit uh, when Stiv died and another of my best friends shot himself the same week. And I quit the music business. I just left for 13 years. I never even picked up a guitar from 1990 to 2003. And, and, and one day I, I picked up my, you know, 66 Gibson with 13 year old strings on it, played this great riff, you know, and I thought, oh, I have to write this thing now. So I wrote the song, the Stiv Bader's Ghost Tour that ended up in the movie about him. Anyway, I wrote that and the songs just started pouring out of me. So I, uh, Pete Revere, who owned Amprion, is in a Deadbeat Poets, would let me come over. And Tom Saylor, another one of my friends at the studio, 
and just make acoustic demos. And so Pete says, well, let's record some of this stuff and everything. So we started to record it. And um, um, I figured why well, had he and, and John, uh, Corey on drums. And I always liked Terry Hartman, who's a friend of mine from, from Cleveland's great songwriter. So I got a hold of Terry. It took me six months to even find him. He had disappeared off the earth like I did. I said, you want to be in the band? <laughs> you got any songs? He goes, yeah, I got all kinds of stuff. So it just kind of clicked. And Terry was a great songwriter, too. And all the guys in the Debbie Poets were. So we made a couple demos. And I sent them out. The only people I knew were Spomps. So I sent them out to a live record. Uh, Patrick out there and Susie Shaw. And he goes, I love this stuff. He goes, but, you know, there's nothing I can do with it. So he goes, but he goes, I know this woman in Japan that would be interested in Vivid Sounds. So we sent them over there. And they're all these years not playing. She offers us a contract, you know. Wow. So we, we, we finished the album and then then we got a hold of Mark and Mark put it out when he started his label here. So it was out in Japan and here at the same time. And that's from the underground. And then Debbie Poets ended up, that, what do we have, Mark? Seven or eight albums now. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all over my, my wall. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with eight. <laughs> Could be, yeah. yeah. So that's how not long after. And Mark not long after the first album, not long after the first that, album, some real so not long after you guys got together, some crazy festival organizer invited you to co go to Liverpool to play at the county yeah. club. I, I have no idea who that was, but he he must have been nuts. That was you. <laughs> yeah, we no, had a blast and that was so much fun there. Actually, we were playing. Uh, I, I didn't have myself on Marquette his and we played and, and we got like a standing ovation encore at, at, at the IPO there. We played because they Mark had, had uh, our one of our songs played at uh, Anfield, uh, yeah. Anfield football games. Uh, no, I don't like to mind those ship like beer. And so I, I, I got went out on Matthew Street and I called my wife, you know, and it's like and I said, Lisa. I said, we just got an encore, you know, and a standing ovation in the cavern. I said, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I said, I like, I like choked up. I said, it was, that was so cool, David. I can't even thank you enough for that experience. And it was fun going there two years thank ago you. again, too. And, oh, by the way, I just, you know, uh, from my neck of the woods, uh, Jay Bird and Haley B. Those kids are from right where I live here. I've gone to see them a couple of days. Excellent, excellent act. And they played there and sound, yes. sounded fabulous. He's got a new album out now. It just came out this week. So, yeah, he told me. I'm now. looking forward to it. Yeah, they're fabulous kids. You know. Nice. Well, nice. I want to thank you too. I, I no. want to thank you too for the for the Blue Ash. First of all, for 2003 at at the, the show you guys did at the Kyber for IPO, and then of course in Youngstown in your hometown when you guys oh, played IPO with the Infidels yeah. right after. What a night that was. Yeah, that was an amazing weekend, too. Really good. We had so much fun. Doing we played a lot for Toronto and uh, Cleveland. Uh, where else? Detroit. New York, yeah. yeah. New, New York, York yeah. 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 I got to yeah. come up and do Boston sometime, you know? There you go. Yeah. Anytime, I like anytime at all, to quote you. <laughs> anytime at all. <laughs> yeah. I give it a 95. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do it in Sweden too, don't you, Dave? 
We have been. Uh, we're trying to work that out again in 2022. You know, post COVID, a lot of a lot of changes. Yep. But yeah, we uh, we're I'll working on stuff. I'll let you know. Even if I come over and do it acoustically again, I'll bring my son Jake with me, or or Jim Kenzer or something. We'll come over and do stuff. Come out to Chicago. There you go. Yeah, Chicago. I've got definitely. I've got an IPO coming up in Chicago. Let's talk. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Frank All loves right. to ride the rails. He's a train rider. He'll ride the train oh, out to yeah. Chicago and know that. Right to Chicago. Frank <laughs> goes right to Chicago from Pittsburgh. I'm a train guy. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. This one. I said, I'll jump on the train and come down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he'll, be at, he'll be at my house tomorrow afternoon uh, after he hops the train. Yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> now, tell it, since since he's uh, not to be a downer here, but since he's no longer with us, tell us about Cupid. First of all, how how did he get that name? He never said. He said he was going <laughs> to write a book about it. And he would never tell. We would always ask, "How did you get that name?" I'll, I'll write a book. He goes, "Will you pay me the royalties?" I'll write a book. Cupid uh, was a great guy. Um, funny thing about him, I knew him when I, I was a little boy. His his aunt Mary and my mother were best friends. And Mary had a farm out in Brookfield, Ohio. And I'd go out with my mom, and he'd be out there with his dad at the, at the farm. And we would play when we were little kids, you know, jumping out, out of the uh, hayloft and everything like that. Who knew we would ever be songwriting partners in, in the future? So I knew when I was a kid. And then um, as we became teenagers, I met up with him again. He was playing in different bands. And then when our first guitarist quit, <coughs> excuse me, we were looking for um, um, uh, a new a replacement. We tried three or four people out. And David Evans and Jim Kenzer and I are sitting in my parents' house. And my mom comes in and she goes, why don't you guys get Cupid in the band? And we just all looked at each other. So I grabbed the phone. And I said, hey, Cupid, this is Frank. And he stops me. He goes, I've been sitting by the phone for a week waiting for this call. He goes, I accept. And what a, I mean, I, I had to, I had the great pleasure. I had the great pleasure of meeting him uh, when, when I came out and you guys uh, opened up for, who, who'd you open up for that I can't stand? Uh, Mountain and Vanilla Fudge. Vanilla Fudge. Vanilla Fudge, after you guys opened up and blew the doors out of the place, they wanted to pull the plug because you guys were doing too good. That always ticked me off. The crowd was going crazy. Big outdoor venue. They're like, get them off the stage. (laughs) But what what an absolute. Yeah. That was a good gig. Yeah, and that's uh, that's where I got to know Cupid, and and uh, you know, g- God bless Cupid, God bless Terry Hartman. He died uh, this oh, last yeah. uh, this last year as well. So, um, you know, great people that have that have come in and out of uh, our lives, and we're grateful for them because uh, the music the music wouldn't be there if it wasn't for those people. You know, so and uh, you, Frank, we're we're grateful for you, oh, and thanks, we're thankful thanks. that you were on t- today with us. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks a lot. I, I can't thank you, both of you enough. It's, this is this is what got me pulled back into it here. <laughs> I was retired from this. I was a businessman. I'm and sorry, Frank. Pulled me back in. <laughs> and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for you for, for that, Mark. Thank you.
Thank you very much, my friend. Well, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, your family. Lisa is just one of my favorites. Jake is fantastic. I'll always remember our time up in New York when uh, you and Jake oh, and I yeah. were just traipsing around the village and doing all kinds of things. And he was just so into it as a wide-eyed uh, uh, younger adult. And uh, that was just some of my best memories. And um, and anytime you come here, you know you're always welcome. And now, we have a blast. Well, let I'll them know. Tell you what, when we get the planning, uh, Jim Kender and I will come on back and do it. You'll look, he's a great interview too. So, good deal. That that yeah, that that's a deal. We will absolutely do that. So we're all going to look forward to the Blue Ash uh, 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 new music. And Frank, have oh, a yeah. great holiday. And uh, love yeah. to Lisa, yeah. love to Jake, and David we'll be talking to you real himself. soon. I'll be sending you a message shortly, yeah, Frank. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Happy birthday too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Kurt, for checking in. Frank, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Absolutely. Take care. Well, there you go, David. Episode number 31, Material Issues. Another great one, yeah. Another I mean, great uh, one. Frank's an awesome interview, and you can tell he's to, he really enjoys talking about this, and he still enjoys playing music. And yeah, I'm going to invite him to IPO Chicago. And if he could bring Jim along with him, so much the better. That'd be awesome. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, obviously he's another one of those people where we're only, you know, getting the tip of the iceberg of all the stories that he has um, in his rock and roll life. That's why the book Circumstantial Evidence is so good. If you are a music fan and you want to have a fun read about some of the crazy things that has happened to Frank Sessage in his life in rock and roll, pick up Circumstantial Evidence out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, that kind of stuff. Of course, the two Blue Ash albums and the Not Lame, if you can find it, releases. Uh, all the Deadbeat Poet albums are all out there on uh, uh, CD Baby and Amazon and all the normal places. So Frank has quite a catalog, and um, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. Uh, I, I'm blessed to be associated with him. It's it's fantastic, and with you as well, my friend. Absolutely, likewise, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak. But I'll wish you a very merry Christmas. You and Thank your you, family, man. and you, um, and a happy new year. But we'll be back prior we'll be back. to New Year's. What do we got? Week, we've got, you know, as I've said many times, one of the nicest people that anyone would ever have the pleasure of meeting. A man of God, a great singer, songwriter, label owner, just like you. And, um, yeah, all kinds of things to uh, many different people. Jeremy Morris. Coming up on December 29th. 29th. Yep. Right before New Year's. Yep. I think that's a good way to end up uh, 2021 and take us into 2022, which the first show is going to be somebody that you're kind of intimately related uh, to, I would believe. Yeah, I, I know a couple of things about him. Yes, my dad, <laughs> Michael Bash, will be on. Uh, this will be... Um, oh, thank you, Kurt. Yeah. Uh, for, fortunately, a false alarm. Um, we'll, uh, let's hope they're, um, well, let's hope I don't have to go in for any alarms, true or false. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, anyway, we'll have my dad on and I'm not just having him on the show because uh, he's my dad. He has a very, he's led a very interesting life and, um, you'll hear all about that. And even at age 90, he will charm the pants off of you. Absolutely. Wow. He's Looking forward it. to it. Looking forward um, to it. 
Yeah, I just hope uh, I hope all my female admirers don't watch because they're going <laughs> to switch their allegiance to him at that point. <laughs> we don't want that. Um, and on the twelfth, you will be uh, doing a basketball game, so I will be uh, helming the show by myself, which is going to be a great show. It will be a great show. At least I hope so, because I will be revealing my best of 2021 list, right. uh, my top 100 or 125. Then, depending on how quickly that goes, I may reveal some other lists like top reissues, top box sets, yada, yada, yada. So we'll see. Yeah. And then on the 19th of January, um, Good timing as they have a new album coming out, the first in a long time. We're going to have Dave Faulkner, uh, the main man of Hoodoo Gurus, on. Uh, so our first Australian guest. Yep. And, uh, of course, you know, another legendary pop band. So we're very much looking forward to that. And then on the 26th, yet another pop legend. Uh, he had been originally scheduled a couple of weeks ago. That didn't work out, but it will for the 26th of January, I'm sure. Dwight Twilley. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're very much looking forward to that as yeah, well. And times. then after that, we have some irons in the fire, some very exciting one, hopefully, uh, sometime in February, and a few others that we're talking to. So, you know, one thing, one thing that both Mark and I feel confident in is that we're going to have good guests always. Yeah, yeah so, indeed. Um, yeah. yeah, very good interviews and, you know, people with stories to tell. Exactly. So just keep listening and tell all your friends and definitely subscribe, subscribe to Material yep. Issues on the, on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube as well. And, um, yeah, so, again, happy birthday, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to spend number 60 any other way than with my good friend David Bash and Frank Sessage here on Material Issues. Uh you know, thank you all so much. And thank everybody for all the birthday wishes on social media today, uh, inundated. And that, that's just really, really nice. Uh, and uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do it again next year. <laughs> yeah, yes, we will. <laughs> all and good. many years after that, hopefully. Ho hopefully, uh, hopefully, if, if we're all blessed. But have a great night, David. We will uh, we'll talk to you soon. You too, Mark. Uh, looking, looking forward to next week with Jeremy. Everybody, Merry Christmas coming up on uh, on Saturday. Be happy, be healthy, enjoy your family. We'll see you real soon. Absolutely, everyone. Good night.